Hello and welcome to Something Rotten, a podcast where we are talking about the video game Metal Gear Solid. My name is Jacob Geller. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Blake Hester. Oh my god, Jacob. I can't with this little man, Hideo. I can't with him anymore. I, You know how long it took me to play this fucking game last night? Uh, and I had to watch 17 movies in the middle of it? I can't with this little fucker. Well, and joining us, <laughs> we have... Returning guests of the podcast, Ed Smith and Reed McCarter from uh, Bullets Point Bullet Points Monthly. Yeah. Excuse me. Welcome back. Hey yo. How's it going? That was a that was a damning indictment of Metal Gear Solid right off the bat there. That's right. I'm so glad to have y'all here because I know that Blake hates this and I really I wanna have two people who are enthusiastic <laughs> about the game. <laughs> I was thinking about this yesterday. Ed, you've been on the show twice. Reed reigning champion you've been on the show three times we've played several games on something rotten that have become my all-time favorite games of all time read every time you've been on the show it's to talk about a game i hate <laughs> and i'm so sorry oh no oh yeah. no kane and lynch one of the call of duties and now metal gear solid was it the first kane and lynch or was it the second kane and lynch oh i love the second yeah the first one i don't like the second one's like one of my all-time favorite games Okay, sweet. Yeah, we we held Reed hostage with the first. Um, look, y'all are both on the podcast because uh, you're very smart and we love having you here. But also because you have written a book about Metal Gear Solid, which I want to uh, get out of the way right at the beginning. It's called OK Hero, a line that we will talk about in this episode. Um, and it's a, a series of essays about Metal Gear Solid 1 through 5 and Peace Walker. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, all the big boys. I I read I read the Metal Gear Solid essays uh, this morning. Uh, they were excellent. Uh, what was what was making that book like? Were you both just like we have so much to say about Metal Gear Solid that <laughs> why not make a book of it? I think I think we wanted to do a book and we wanted to do something that had games where there was a lot to say, but they were also kind of finer. So you know we talked about maybe doing something on like Grand Theft Auto or Red Dead Redemption, but those games are so big and. The experience of playing them varies so so much between you know each each person and they're kind of kind of so subjective and you know infinite almost in nature whereas metal gear solid as a series um yeah each game is, is is relatively short and relatively kind of there are bits in it that happen to every player right you know it's very sort of cutscene driven and dialogue driven and, and sort of thematically driven so it was a nice balance i think between and not to mention the fact that we both uh, to a point, at least, I think Reed, you'd agree that one, two, and three, one and two are the really good ones. Three's kind of good, and then it's it's sort of over. Um, yeah, but, but we're, we're we're fans of Metal Gear Solid up until yeah, like the the credits of Metal Gear Solid Three. Yeah, but even even when they're bad, they're still something to talk about. I think yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, they're fascinating, all of them. Uh, we, we talked about last week, my first Metal Gear Solid uh, when I was, I don't know, 14 years old or whatever, was uh, Metal Gear Solid 4 for the PlayStation 3, uh, which <laughs> I saw, I got like a 10 out of 10 in Game Informer, and I was like, time to play this game. And uh, I, as our guest, Super Bunny Hop, last week, just screamed when I was like, yeah, that was my first one. That was my introduction. Oh, man, that is one of the worst games ever made. Metal Gear Solid 4. Oh, it's, it's, te- not... it's terrible. It's so bad. I love it. 10 out of 10. Game Informer, baby. We used to give those things out. <laughs> <like> <laughs> you, you guys have got a lot to answer for. Yeah, Yeah. well, for, for many reasons. I, I think, Ed, you brought up something I've been thinking about, though, and maybe this is a good jumping off point for the episode. Um, the legacy, the mythology of Metal Gear Solid 
is so large that in my head going into this game, I was like, it's just going to be a large game. And one of the surprising things about it is how quick and self-contained it is. Jacob, did you like, was this a similar experience for you? Just be like, oh, it's just like a seven hour little banger. You just like plop through in a couple sittings i mean granted i didn't like yeah, it so but it still was like oh, seven hour quickly. little banger that you hate no <laughs> i i agree i mean it's in some ways it's not surprising just because this is kind of how franchises go yeah that it's like always the first one is kind of like wow look at look at how well that started and ended a story and yep. then like because of the popularity the next one kind of like spirals uh which i expect we will kind of talk about but yeah you know i i think the how little stealth there is in this game and almost how much of like a boss rush it is was absolutely something that i was not expecting and i found both kind of entertaining and thrilling and also very strange because that's not you know people love talking about the stealth and not just like fighting five bosses back to back i mean it's it's like a set piece generator really like there are like yep. small levels in between, but really you're just going from set piece to set piece, which is not something I expected loading into this game. I did the maths in my head once and I counted that there's only something like 20 or so guards in the entire game. Like this idea that oh, wow. it's solid, but it's a game about like sneaking past the guards. Like, yeah, it's, it's not like you were saying, Blake, it's a... Yeah. It's a set piece generator. I, I, I totally agree. Yeah. So last episode, we wrapped up with Snake's prison escape, essentially. So we saw the whole torture sequence, um, and then we sprayed ketchup on ourselves or hid under the bed, and then uh, walked out the room and got all our clothes back. Um, one of the things that I was uh, pleasantly surprised by with this is that I hadn't like officially closed the game through that whole time. Um, and I quit it, and I came back, and they give you a little, like, remember what you oh, were yeah. doing on Metal Gear Solid, which, uh, like, makes sense for longer games than this, but I was just, like, very pleasantly surprised to be like, hey, that's that's what I was doing. Thanks for telling me. Yeah, because I played this game in such short chunks, I read a ton of those and liked them every single time. More games should fucking do that. You remember Alan Wake 1 had the previously on between the chapters? That shit's so good. Do, do more of that shit. This is especially yeah. handy when you're, like a kid and you're renting a playstation and metal gear solid over and over again and uh <laughs> and then you need to rely on that too reed were you were you a child when first experiencing this game i was uh i guess like a tween i was so it's 1998 it comes out and so i was uh 12 and i did play it like pretty close to when it came out one of my stepbrothers rented it and i came downstairs and saw him playing it and i was just like this thing is is wild and that, that's like a big part of like when you think of like legacy and stuff this game was like such a spark in the imagination like thinking about two like saying is this true you go back to it and you're like it is this very kind of short and sort of straightforward game until the end kind of you know uh expands outward quite a bit but it's just like there's so much packed into it in the sense of like this is a established fiction and it was you know all the references to actual politics and history and um yeah it's sorry that's kind of like a, a sideways point yeah it was like 12 i, I think I, I had the distinct memory of being seven years old and seeing a, a full page advert of metal gear solid in i guess it was the official playstation magazine um 
yeah, I played it. I played it when it came out, and I was I was eight. Jacob, did I tell my story on the show about trying to buy this game as a child? <laughs> no. Did you Did he sneak in in a cardboard box? No, no, no. Okay, so I guess I must have heard about. It would have had to have been MGS two because I was only like four when MGS one came out, and we never had a PS one. So um, it must have been MGS2. I must have heard about it on X-Play, which is where I got a lot of my like gaming news just on Tech TV slash G4, then later G4. Um, and I s- somehow got Zone of the Enders, which had the MGS2 demo. So I was like, and I was obsessed with that demo. I remember it vividly. I would play it over and over and over. Don't think I ever played Zone of the Enders, or at least not to, uh, to any substantial amount. But I was like, all right, I got to play this fucking game but i need to play the first one so i had a ps2 which had backwards compatibility i had a ps1 memory card so my dad takes me shouts out the st matthews mall in louisville kentucky if we got any louisville listeners you know uh we went to the eb games in there and i've found metal gear solid i'm like great here it is my dad's like great i'm gonna buy this for you get home little did i know my dumb little pea brain six seven years old had bought Metal Gear Solid, the VR missions. Oh, God. Oh, Oh, no. And I distinctly remember playing a lot because it was like, you know, even as a child, I was at least rational enough to understand, can't can't go back, can't buy another game. This is all I have. Just got to get over it. And I distinctly remember playing the shit out of it, trying to convince myself it was good enough. And it wasn't. It certainly wasn't. Like, I wish I would have bust. I don't, I don't like this game very much. But as a child, I wish I would have gotten it. Because they would have blown my fucking mind if I played this at seven years old. Uh, but yeah, I, I did attempt to play this in the past and failed miserably because of my lack of reading comprehension as a kid. My my retail Metal Gear Solid experience was, again, with, with four. But I remember going up to, like, the guy working at GameStop and I held out two games and I said, which one of these do you like more? And it was Metal Gear Solid 4 and Bioshock, uh, which are wow. maybe, you know, kind of two poles, kind of the same place in uh, gaming history. And I think I bought Bioshock first. I have a Bioshock GameStop story, too. Mine would have probably been much later than yours. I would have been like probably 20. But I remember going to GameStop with my girlfriend at the time. That, that poor woman who had to go into a GameStop in 2013. I can't wish that, I don't wish that hell on anyone. And I said, do I buy Bioshock or Deadly Premonition? And those were my two choices. And I went with Bioshock. And to this day, I kind of wish I would have made the other decision because I've never played Deadly Premonition. And I, I bet I would have enjoyed it more as a, as a wee 20-year-old. Was that a good story? Are you glad I derailed the podcast for that? That was one? a great story. All these forks in the road. What, <laughs> yeah. what could have been? That's right. So I guess the <laughs> my first my first note on part two is uh, like Death Stranding. There's a bomb in your items, uh, <laughs> which was this thing that happened in the middle. Blake, did this happen to you? Where like you accidentally pick up a bomb and then Colonel's like Snake, you you're holding a bomb and you have to like go through your inventory and throw it out. No. Well, okay. So there was a point. In Did this... you just randomly explode at some point? <laughs> so there was a point in this game where I started randomly exploding when I was in water and I couldn't figure it out. That's it. That was the bomb. But if I got out of the water in time, it was fine. It seemed like. Yeah, they like plant that when you break out of the prison. It's like planted with all your stuff. I think. 
right? No, my so that didn't no, mine was um in the room with Metal Gear in the hangar with Metal Gear. If I got into the water. I know what you're talking about. These are both No, there are two different incidences. When you pick up your stuff from the prison, they have planted a bomb in your belongings and Colonel calls you and tells you that there's a bomb or maybe Otacon does and you throw it out. But then you can also pick one up in the water around Metal Gear and it's the oh, same thing. Oh, Colonel did not call me. And I died like five times there. Damn, shame on him. Uh, you know, Kojima, design genius here. I look, I love that shit. Um, but the the first real gameplay section of this is maybe the weakest part of the game because there is this big long just run upstairs that you can't stealth and you're just like shooting guys and it just goes on forever. Uh, Reed and Ed, as people who are much more experienced at these games than us, is there like a good way of doing that section? That's a that's a forced section. Yeah, you just, you have to shoot your way through that. You know the the secret, Ed, that I figured out when I was a kid, and I was like, I'm so good at this game. You hold the crouch button and the and the gun button at the same time yeah. you can run and shoot and you just mm -hmm. mow through those guys as you're running up oh Ooh. i had a completely different strategy for this entire section it's i just was dropping stun grenades the entire time and then all the guys would fall so i never killed anyone i just ran to the top uh, yeah that's that's also viable i have um i guess in in, in light of um what Jacob was saying, I guess I've got a, a kind of a controversial opinion here because I, I I really like that section. I really like the whole the whole comms tower section is is one of if not my favourite bit of the game. Um, I should probably lay my cards on the table and say that it 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 varies between like maybe three games in general, but there are times when Metal Gear Solid is my favourite game of all time. Uh, so when I'm talking about my favourite section of Metal Gear Solid, I guess I'm talking about, yeah, my favourite my favorite gaming moment ever. Expand on that. What, like, what what about this game stands out as your, one of your favourites? There's definitely, like, a, an element of nostalgia. Like, I, I, I played it when I was very, very yeah, young. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was kind of like, uh, it's kind of like the, the, the first game I remember playing and thinking, you know, there's, there's more to this than like arcade mode and time attack challenges. And, you know, um, but I think before that I've mainly played like things like Tekken 2, Doom. I mean, I mean, Doom is fantastic, but you know, it's not like literary or whatever in the way that maybe right, right, right. it was. So there's that element of it. It was like the first game I played where it's like, ah, maybe there's, uh, there's more to these games than, than originally met the eye. Um, and then... I think that something that was was touched on earlier, that was talked about earlier, the I I replayed it before you asked me to to come on the show. I'd replayed it anyway, and um, I hadn't really noticed it before, but it was it was something that was that was said earlier on, and it's so true. It just moves so much. Like there's not there's no slack in this game at all, and that's unfortunately not something that you can even say for the later Metal Gear Solid games. They get more and more turgid, culminating in five, which is just you know this like really badly written russian novel of a game um but this one it's just like so zippy and um terse and like dramatic and it's just like inventive at every turn like if you were to actually sort of verbalize what you do in maybe the first 30 minutes of metal gear solid actually kind of like speak it out loud um there's just so many different ideas and so much kind of imagination in there and it just keeps up like that forever and ever i mean from the beginning of the game up until i'd say the psychomantis boss battle i know we're not talking about the first half of the game here but that maybe opening two or three hours i think it's just there's more kind of like 
you know, creativity and inventiveness in that game than you'd get in like 50 hours of, you know, uh, Far Cry or The Witcher or whatever it might be. Um, you're you're totally right. And it's like we, we talked about this a little last week, but like as someone who's never uh, played this before, the the frequency of iconic moments is almost overwhelming you know of just like things that i realized i'd seen referenced so many times the fact that psycho mantis which is you know one of the most famous boss fights in video games happens in the first three hours i was shocked i was like surely this will be like the penultimate fight because it's such a big deal and it's like no you just walk down a hallway and there he is and he does his whole thing it's just i mean and i remember playing it when it came out and feeling the same way then it's not necessarily that they have of course but it's not necessarily that these moments have kind of like accrued a credibility over time i remember at you know back in 1998 playing it and just being just just so kind of surprised as much as as much as like an eight-year-old has the ability to be kind of like surprised by art i <laughs> uh, just being just being so you know, knowing even at the time like i'm playing something that that, that, that it, it is different to everything else um I was gonna say one one last thing. There's so much I could say about this game. I don't want to just like bore everybody by talking about why it's, why I love it so much. But there's a it's very possible to get bogged down, not bogged down, but it's very possible to become occupied with talking about the sort of um, the, the 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 quite sort of like serious and substantive artistic qualities of Metal Gear Solid. No, it's a game about you know death, and it's a game about politics, and it's a game about identity, and it's a game about blah, blah, blah. that's all there. One of the things I really love, I think it's a, a, a wonderful marriage of kind of like high action cinema uh there's comedy there's horror there's camp there's kitsch it's got a wonderful aesthetic like you can look at a single screenshot of metal gear solid and you just know that this is metal gear solid straight away it's got like such a such a kind of strong visual kind of palette and just like great performances dialogue characters like even just like that he's got such a such an ear for like character names revolver ocelot vulcan raven um which he's got better at i i <laughs> not to go on a tan not to go on a tangent i played the 1987 metal gear the msx one um a lot of the stuff in this one is in that by the way like a lot right. of stuff is is there from the sort of 2d era but some of the characters in that i've got really bad names there's one called like a uh, machine gun kid that's kind of sick yeah and then there's one i think that's just called like the shotgunner um so yeah he got better at the names as he got on anyway yeah i've talked a lot i i, I really love this game I, i'm glad to hear you bring all that up because like i i me saying i don't like this game I, it's not going to do anyone, any listener or this conversation, any service for me saying like every moment throughout this episode, be like, ah, I didn't like it. it. It's just like one of those gambles you take when you play an old game in 2023, you know, it's like, it's just like mechanically may not speak to you depending on how it aged. But one thing I can't deny in this game, if I strip away, like not enjoying playing it, except for the second Falcon Raven fight we can talk about, which I fucking loved, uh, is like how impressive every second of this game is even when i'm not like like enjoying it when i'm placing it in the time and context in which it came out and it's you know i don't want to act like this was created in a vacuum plenty of other thief came out the same year as this game like people were making attempts at taking video games more seriously but this is such a like definitive line in the sand of like where you know, the team working on this game thought video games could go and the huge swings in this visually and narratively and like thematically are s impossible to ignore. Like it would, I would be lying if I acted like that was lost on me just because I don't enjoy like running and shooting the guys in the game, which is just like 
just how it works out sometimes playing a 20 year old game um but like there's so many moments in it even when i personally am not enjoying it that i'm like this is fucking the most impressive shit possible for this era which is like incredible like i love that i think it's it's so cool and i like that like it still has that impact in 2023 when i'm playing and be like oh yeah i fucking get it like i see why you know everyone who played this in 98 had their butts blown out by it you know like it, it has not lost that impact just, just like that garden prison out. section um well, and, and it's kind of it's <laughs> it's with that in mind it's with that in mind that i want to i want to go back to that that run up the tower because while i was playing it i was kind of thinking two things which is like one mechanically you know the shooting the shooting in this game is not uh great in the way that we would talk about shooting today but it is also this thing that i think you can recognize in several kojima games of like this section is going on for so much longer than kind of it would if it was purely for gameplay fun that like it seems like it's begging you to think about it as something and where i'm caught is i don't quite know what that is and so ed i would love your take on kind of like because this is it's so long like the number of flights of stairs you run up in this feels like that section in final fantasy 7 when you're you know running up 100 <laughs> flights of stairs or whatever and it's it's like it is a fascinating choice and i guess i want i want one of you to tell me like what is that choice doing here like what should what should i think about this other than like boy there are a lot of guards on these stairs uh, i'm gonna, gonna chuck that one to read because i i had a big spiel a few minutes ago i want to hear the i want to hear the the macarta take on that one <laughs> i feel like i'm gonna yeah it's gonna sound i've thought too much about this game over the years um and it's yeah it's it's got too much in my head like this game is like the reason i played video games past like the age of 12 it's like every time a new Metal Gear came out, I, I wanted to play it. So I've thought about these things a lot, and I always think of like Shadow Moses itself. And it's hard to remember now doing like OK Hero when we had I can't remember which one of us wrote about this, but I think a lot about Shadow Moses as like an environment and as this kind of like almost like this big gothic castle, and about sort of like Snake's journey as a character. Uh, from kind of the beginning how he he's already formed but what what he is at the beginning and the end of the game is he, he's kind of grown into something and he's he's kind of uh asserted himself and become um like a, a, an individual in a certain sense and then you i have... think that would be sorry i think that's ed's uh essay where have you gone big boss um though you both touch on it uh but but i read that this morning and loved it uh yeah i I should have read that again too. I read it too many times in the past. No, 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 no. It's not. It's not that good. Um, but I. So I. In in that kind of context, I think of that big, uh, the the stairs part and the comms tower part as it's like almost this kind of like mythical, which Kojima likes. It's it's similar to he does it in Snake Eater as well with the and he he puts more sauce on it kind of where the song starts playing it's uh he does it in death stranding almost for the entire game of of giving you these moments of like struggle and kind of showing the character like cinematically going through something to achieve some kind of like realization or so it's like in that sense he 
depending on how you play it, he's either killing a lot of guys going up there, or he's you know bypassing them with like a lot of a lot of effort. And when he gets to the top, he he's at last kind of in like some senses face to face with his his shadow self and everything, and it's time to time to face him. And then you know you're going to be going up and down these towers for a little while and kind of like you're not going to have that crystallization that moment of of breakthrough when he fights liquid the first time like from the distance uh with the helicopter so he's like going back down and then it's easier to go back down it's just like a lot of different things there about like struggle and and i think also in like a really basic sense if you play it certain ways you're going to kill a lot of people and then later it's going to make sure that you have to say, like, you enjoyed that, didn't you? And then make you think about, well, no, but yeah, you know, it's satisfying when they fall down, but, you know. So I think it, like, it does a lot of stuff in that section. Um, I I think that totally makes sense. And it's like, I love, I love the idea of Ascent as, like, a physical metaphor in any game. You know, I've, I've written about this in Returnal. We talked about Descent constantly in Silent Hill 2. You know, the, just the idea of making your character go, like, physically up or down a lot uh, is, is so rich. It's also, once you get on top of this tower... Kind of my favorite visual aspect of the game kicks in, which is what night looks like on Shadow Moses, which is just like absolute blackness, you know, and the idea of like when you were up on top of that communication tower and you were looking off like literally into the void and there's like there you can't see any island and you can't see the ocean or, you know, the rest of Alaska or anything. It's just this like completely isolating feeling of like you're on these catwalks you're completely alone and then liquid shows up and starts shooting you with a helicopter <laughs> yeah jacob jump into the end real quick did you think it was weird when you saw shadow moses in the daytime i i mean i loved it like i i loved because i was like i thought it looked weird i was like whoa i i was like oh my gosh they haven't shown this perspective the whole game so to kind of have that like this is this is where you've been but yep. in a completely literally a different light um I thought it was great. Um, on, on a slightly different topic, but related to where we are in the game, um, I was watching trailers, like the original trailers for these game, this game earlier. Uh, unbelievable. The the amount of, like, you know, the, the cinematicness, sorry, that they ring out of, like, what the gameplay looks like in those trailers, which primarily, as George last week referred to it, is like a Pac-Man game of just kind of like looking at your Soliton radar, radar and running around. It's like the, the amount of variety that they communicate in this game visually is kind of astounding. And it is, you know, it's again, Kojima's really good at cutting trailers and this is, uh, this is no exception. But one of those big moments is you see the repelling and you're like, oh my God, this is, this is a Mission Impossible game too. You're doing everything here. It's, it, it's too bad at a certain point in Metal Gear when his trailers become better than the games themselves though. Like that MGS5 trailer, 10 out of 10. The, the New Order trailer. Uh, what's, I forget what that song's called, but that's like such a good trailer. It's, it's the best version of that game almost in a sense. Yes, it is. Blake, you got a building on fire? <laughs> hey, that's New York, baby. Gotta close my window before I record, because New York don't know how to be quiet. So you have you have this whole section where Liquid shows up, he shoots at you with a helicopter, you don't have a way to kill him, which is, 
it, kind of an interesting thing that the game does a couple times where it's just like you just don't have the weapon right now you don't have the sniper rifle so you can't fight sniper wolf you don't have the stinger so you can't fight liquid um but then when you get down you have the whole otacon uh can love bloom on a battlefield speech which i ed you refer to parts of this game as camp and i'm kind of curious like and and kitsch i'm like where does this land for you is it profound is it kind of like goofy in a sincere way is it you know <laughs> how do how do you feel about can love bloom on a battlefield i i think it's sincere i think that it's it's what i'd maybe think of as uh melodrama in the sort of true theatrical sense or maybe in the kind of like soap opera sense where there is legitimately something in there that is very sort of convicted and beautiful uh but it's delivered with well you know with that with that performance and with that particular kind of verbiage and everything in this game like every single thing in this game is so heightened you know it's kind of like emotional maximalism the entire way through like every the the, the I, I i was talking about the communications tower section as my favorite part I think my actual favorite part is the I don't want to skip ahead, but is the is the bus fight with Liquid towards the end, where you know Liquid and Solid are kind of st are stripped to the waist, and there's all that kind of like red lighting, and you're on top of the Metal Gear, and it's just I especially now you know 25 years later when everything that I play in the mainstream at least, but also outside the mainstream is so kind of so kind of um, kind of neutered and so sort of cautious about not even having a, a an opinion on something but just cautious about even you know aesthetically or like atmospherically having any sort of distinctive characteristics i point to starfield um which is like it's the perfect space game because it's completely lacking in atmosphere ha 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 um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I, I think that Starfield is like an example of where we've gotten to with games where like everything is like designed to be sort of like banal and inoffensive and, and kind of like a food a food paste. And then you play Metal Gear Solid. And even though occasionally it sort of like tips the scales into, you know, that's a little bit hokey or that's a little bit kind of like makes me smirk. There's no holds barred. Like he is. It, it's it's a subjective vision. It's. I, I was about to say he is not holding back, as in it's all Hideo Kojima. Reed, you might be able to help me here. Who who's the co-writer who I was messaging uh, about? I can't. Oh, I can't remember. His I name can't remember. Head, but he's on one, yeah. and two, and three. He's he's on the first three, and I always get the sense that he becomes less and less kind of allowed to edit after the first and sec uh, after the first game. It was a uh, Tomokazu Fukushima. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a there's a pronounced difference between the script in Metal Gear Solid and then every other game. So it feels to me like he's quite sort of active on the first game. Hideo Kojima becomes the kind of celebrity developer and then is allowed to sort of have his way more and more as the series goes on. And that's when you know there's a there's a sort of rot sets in. But anyway, what I'm, the the point is, you asked about whether it's you know uh, camp and kitsch. Yes, it is, but it's it's ju it's just the conviction. That, that i like it's the um the commitment to the bit if you like to, to use a, a a sort of like mimetic parlance. i think if i'm like perhaps reading too far into the love thread of metal gear solid which is a little weird to me because like did meryl and snake have enough time to fall in love and the sniper wolf no Otacon exists anyway uh it's like there's a lot in this game that is like a clear reaction to where the video game industry is going and the like you know 
the over-reliance on violence and how, like, hatred kind of fuels video games. If you, like, consider why you're shooting things in every video game, there's some amount of hatred through it. And I think, like, the love thread, which didn't always land for me, but seemed like Kojima trying to address the desperation of, like, narratives in video games. Like, war is a desperate time, and I think he shows, like, characters in war actually hungry to feel something other than bloodthirst which like even snake who like liquid says at the end period point blank like you snake and by proxy the player are bloodthirsty people but we also saw snake like desperately seeking any kind of affection even weirdly enough from a woman he met two hours before that he doesn't have that much chemistry with like i think that is kind of interesting i also think i i i just a, a very quick point. I think that's absolutely true. I also think that I also think that Kojima and and you know the, the creators of Metal Gear Solid. I think that they they believe in love, or at least they kind of appropriate love in the sort of like classic French cinema way, where all you have to do is like clap eyes across a cafe, and you can fall in love with somebody. You know, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. that. It, it, it's that it's that classical Hollywood melodramatic love where people fall in love in an instant. God, I'd love to know how Kojima met <laughs> and if it was just like locked eyes from across the cafe or something. He did apparently get the idea for the original Metal Gear game from playing hide and seek with his son. I I, I read that in an interview. Once. Oh, wow. That's cool. What's a son do? Who's Kojima's son? I think about this occasionally. So who's that guy? What's that dude up to? He must be 35 at this point. What's that kid? Yeah, maybe maybe it's better that we don't know because yeah. we know what like Hayao Miyazaki's son is doing, and it doesn't make anyone happy. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> soul crushing. Um, I, I, I also think you know to to think even more about this. I think that like it is almost it is more important that the characters are feeling love than the relationship that sure. they have with the person who yeah. they're in love with you know that that it feels it feels so much uh ed and reed you both wrote about and also um uh harper jay's uh metal gear solid retrospective on kotaku which is a, a great one in like a series of articles that she wrote um talks about just like how much literally every single person on the ground is lied to and manipulated you know that like snake is lied to about his mission all the terrorists, quote unquote terrorists, who have like taken over Shadow Moses are there because, you know, like they've they've been lied to. They're also like all dying and they're just trying to get like the the body of Big Boss that will stop them from dying. And it's like everyone is just such a pawn and being manipulated by things greater than themselves that love is like one of the most intensely individualistic things that they can do you know it's like they have no power over like what their job is or what they are doing in the world and so it's like can i find love is like i am an individual i am doing something i am not being manipulated into feeling this way by the colonel or the president or whoever and so it is this kind of like weird expression of like being a person when that is constantly kind of being removed so everyone can just be the perfect soldier both of those points make me think of a million things one thing is uh Metal Gear solid 2 is going to take that football and run very far with it in in terms of that you know i it's it's not the podcast for it either but i think alan wake 2 this year is also games that kind of speak to and and stories that kind of speak to the idea that like when we live in a time that we can't really make, you know, when we don't have like a, 
a, a strict morality or something that we can like cling to. It's like, well, what makes sense when everything is kind of like contradictory and nonsensical? It's like, well, what do you cling to? The one thing I was going to say too to both those points and like I I think also Kojima is like or or the entire team. It's like the whole Metal Gear thing is this. I I. You can definitely read this game on multiple levels and read it like Blake was saying, as sort of like a reaction to video game violence, which I think it does really well, and it doesn't get as much credit for that as it should, especially like it was doing this and not sort of like smacking you in the face with it over and over. But like this whole thing too of like trying to break through why are we obsessed with war and military stuff, and then like where where is that leading us and like what what do we get out of it and i think you see like the author in this game very much being like hey i'm making my military game but it's also you kill a guy and then he's going to tell you why you're going to feel really bad for him because he's he's going to tell you about how terrible his life was in the country he comes from and it's, yeah there's there's a through line in this game that is like i feel fairly unavoidable by the credits and as far as i understand it it comes up in other mgs games and that is kojima saying maybe don't spend all your time playing video games which i think is really interesting and not only is there the like love for another person and this game ends up getting into like the the like scientific ideas of love and sex which is very funny but like the love of life which i find interesting like there is definitely a part of this game and the same way the original God of War by David Jaffe can be read as like it's made about a guy who spends too much time at work and just wants to go outside for a little bit. There is like this through <laughs> line by the end of the game. It's like you are wasting your time playing my game. Go outside because like media reductively perhaps but inherently is just a manipulation of emotions to get you to like feel what the author intends. And the end of this game is like, see, said to me, at least, like, maybe don't let me do that. Like, it ends on the stock footage, the stock footage of, like, outside, and it's so beautiful. And Naomi's like, just live life, just live life. And it's very kind of corny, but, like, very effective in a way of being like, you know, the game's over. Go do something else for a little while. That I thought was, like, interesting, especially as I feel like video games are so obsessed now with, like, once you beat them, be like, play New Game Plus, never look away play our game only you know i like the idea of the game being like stop playing for a little while it's it's hard to overemphasize how much more that comes through in the second game as well as as well as a lot as well as a lot of other stuff but i think i think that's absolutely true like um the the game ends on a message of kind of just just like a not a rejection but kind of an acknowledgement but not a kind of uh, reliance on received information you know it's not about your orders it's not about the government it's not about your past it's not about anything it's just you know, it's, it's it's the moment and it's that kind of like self-actualization thing where um, I think it's only in the, in the ending where you don't save Meryl that Snake actually... Or does he tell Meryl his name is David? He does in both. He he does. He does yeah. he does in both. Okay, yeah. So, you know, there's the moment of like, I'm no longer Solid Snake of Foxhound or Solid Snake of the Fox Die program or L'Enfant Terrible or whatever it may be. I'm, you know, I'm David. And um, yeah, that absolutely applies to that thing about, yeah, don't... Not only do you, do you not need to be completely sort of dictated to by uh, you know politics and the, and the sort of times, but yeah, also video games, media, whatever. The, the the whole series, I think, kind of turns on that idea. You get that great image too in the. I, I rewatched the Meryl ending. It was the one I found on YouTube, but you get the um, 
uh, what are they called, Malamutes or whatever that he mushes the the like wolf dogs. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You get the image of them all in a team running down a path that's sort of shot, so you don't see a person. You just see the backs of the dogs running through the snow, and it's this great image too of like they're going towards something together, but they're all kind of bound together, and it's you know, and then you get the the stats on nuclear weapon stockpiles in 1998. Is there more than one ending to this game? There's one after yeah. the credits too. Is, it's like hold on, it's like a minute long. Is Meryl? No, but there is. Can Meryl you... live? There's one where Meryl dies. Oh, Meryl died okay. for me. <laughs> yeah, okay. There's one where Meryl lives, Blake. Oh, I had no Did clue. you give in to the torture? Yeah. The the canon ending is is Meryl survives. Yeah, she's she's meant to live. No, the Otacon ending's better though. No, the Meryl ending is the Meryl ending. No, it's just two boys going out to live in the woods. Oh no. Meryl died for me. Yeah. So Blake, you during the the torture with um with revolver you um did you press the submit yeah, button like you eventually kind of gave yeah. in no oh. no you just keep pressing square and if you if you submit meryl what? dies my hands my you hands can lose are... though too right? yeah, yeah yeah my my hands are I dust do at this point i hit submit immediately i was like no fucking way am i doing this no i knew i put the controller on the ground i was like hitting the button with two fingers i was really going for it i can't i always had to have someone else do that part for no me way. if I wanted the Maryland do. Yeah, not doing that. There's a there's a bit in Metal Gear Solid 2 where you have to do it to progress. There's no there's no skipsies. Um it's re- it's really hard. It, it, in Metal Gear Solid 2 it gets harder the harder the difficulty that you're on. So I would say oh, if you're God. If, if you're if you're not a button guy, just play on easy. Yeah, just play on easy. If you try and do it on extreme, the the top difficulty, it's fucking impossible. I was stuck in Tony Hawk's American Wasteland for a month as a child because of a section where you have to slam on the button. So having flashbacks. Imagine being st- of of all the places in the world to be stuck. Hey, you're in Tony Hawk's <laughs> hey, the waste- American the, the, That's Wasteland. That's a good game. The, the American Wasteland. American Wasteland. Good game. I never finished resident evil 6 bought it at full price and returned it when i couldn't get past the button mashing you guys are all you're such casual it. gamers man this is embarrassing yeah you just, no. you Come just on. put the controller down you, you slam it on work. it with your index finger no you you don't move your fingers you move the controller so you, you hold your fingers steady and then you move oh, the controller against the fingers yeah this is like the mario party thing where you strip the skin of your palms off yeah yeah i don't know too like i don't i, I grew up playing yeah. instruments with my hands like they're yeah they're not useless i was gonna they say I, you're a guitar guy you should be able and to... i think because i play guitar i have early onset carpal tunnel so i cannot play video game sections like this like these hands are withering in the if, if the decision was be good at video games or be able to play the guitar, I think you made a, the right. Oh, video oh yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It just it's it gets you way. It, you meet more people. Yeah. You get a lot. You get you, you get like, a lot more chicks if you can do the torture sequence in Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> you know, this is a would be a perfect opportunity for the Metal Gear Solid Master Collection to make any affordance to like accessibility or these things that we've learned are important in 2023 yeah. and of course it fucking doesn't because it's the laziest collection ever put out oh man i can't wait to talk about that when we get to metal gear solid 2 i yeah i didn't even think about that that would be so easy because there's like one of these sections in almost all of these games too yep that just sucks um okay we'll 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 come back to the end because there's more stuff well, no 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 the end there. is in but, uh, metal gear solid 3 
we're, we're not playing that for this season. Oh, very good. Thank very you. funny. Um, the uh, the next part of the game is you uh, you fighting the hind D. Uh, you get the stinger. You go back up the uh, tower and you shoot a bunch of missiles at it, uh, which has uh, probably the most badass, quote unquote, but also sincerely badass line in the game, which is when it goes down and explodes in a giant ball of flame and Snake says that takes care of the cremation. So fucking good, dude. Yeah, that's what I would say after murdering my twin brother. <laughs> I've, I stand by that I think Kojima is a great writer from an idea sense, but a pretty terrible dialogue writer. But there are a few nuggets of absolute gold in this game, and that takes care of the cremation. I don't know if that's Kojima or Jeremy Blostein who uh, translated it. Whoever that was, that's a barn burner right there. Um, th- there's... Uh... Harper points out in uh, her piece on it that the hind D is interesting kind of conceptually because like it teaches you how to use the stinger and that's good but also it like it emphasizes how much better Metal Gear is than the current weapons of war because it's like it's not that hard of a boss fight and then you get to Metal Gear and your like weapons can't even touch it and it's like oh fuck this thing this yeah, thing's yeah. legit. I've, I've never thought about that before. You, you destroy a tank and you destroy a helicopter and yeah you're right that puts the actual Metal Gear robot into a, into a really different context. I never know. You see, 25 years and it's still the gift that keeps on living. Um, <laughs> sh- shortly after this is actually one of maybe my favorite like gag in the game, which is uh, you get on the elevator and it beeps and Snake's like, huh. And and then Otacon just calls you and he's like, Snake, I was going to get you a stealth camo and I had four, but none of them are in the closet anymore. And then you realize that there are four invisible ninjas on the elevator. But like, that is just such a good like bit. You know, it only works once. The game only does it once. And I this is it. the moment I learned a valuable Metal Gear Solid lesson, which is you really shouldn't be shooting anyone and you should just be CQC Inc. everyone because I died multiple times. Then I was like, yeah, I bet I can just throw them off this elevator. And by God, you can just throw them off that elevator. I, I think it's a, re- <laughs> maybe this is me being like a bit of a wuss. I think that, I think that moment's really scary. I find the whole communications <laughs> tower bit like quite, quite unnerving. Years and years and years ago, I wrote this essay that, that, that this, this essay that sort of postulated that, you know, given that Silent Hill comes out in 1999, that there was some, it feels like there's almost like some cross pollination between the Konami Metal Gear team and the Konami Silent Hill team, because the, the, the communications tower is full of that kind of like sheet metal and, and, you know, um, chain, chain link fences and stuff like that. And that there's that sort of, I don't know how you describe it. It's not like a music track because that sort of, industrial sound of things kind of moving like settling and unsettling as you mm-hmm. as you go up and down there and there's that kind of that kind of like vignetting that enters the screen as well so you you know your 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 perspective is is limited and yeah there's no like diegetic uh, no kind of non-diegetic um music it's all kind of like in the scene and i was just gonna say that the, the sort of slow build where the music on that codec call gets louder and eventually that moment where Otacon's face is pressed up against the screen, you know, look out, Snake. Um, I, I think it, 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 it still gets me a little bit. It's like a bit of a jump yeah. scare because you've not seen anyone, no one moves like that in the codec 
<laughs> screen. <laughs> Every time someone does something unexpected in the codec, it's always like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. No, when when Miller takes off the glasses, you're like, whoa. <laughs> you you wait until Metal Gear Solid 2 <laughs> when it comes to that. The Silent, Hill, you just the Silent Hill connection is really interesting, and I've been thinking about it a little bit, because for anyone who might not know, um, Silent Hill and Metal Gear Solid were being developed at the same t- around the same time um at konami and i think it was a seer aesthetics uh the youtuber who like speculated that they thought there was like some one-upsmanship between those two teams because both games for their time or both series for their time metal gear solid went way further um through the years were like just technical powerhouses you know like we talked a lot about like the um the CG in Silent Hill 2 and just like how unbelievably impressive it was for its time. Yeah, well, I mean, and Silent Hill 3 is the best looking video game ever made. <laughs> right, 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 right. right. Hell, but yes. uh, I would I would love to know if there's any truth to that, if they were, were, there was like friendly competition between those teams. Obviously, I think the MGS team was uh, dunking on them in the sales department, but in terms of them both just being like huge tech showcases, I wonder if they were like, Team Silent was over there like, fuck. Those fuckers got yeah. us. I mean, and and just atmospherically, you're totally right. And George was talking about last week, like how how atmospheric Shadow Moses is and how much you are not hearing music, but you're just hearing the rattling of chains and, you know, big. And, and like I talked about earlier, what night looks like on Shadow Moses, which is just kind of like the world disappears into blackness, is very Silent Hill feeling. Yeah, that made me, it's, as soon as you were saying that, I was thinking too, it's like, well, you could just dismiss it and just say well it's technical limitations but i think both silent hill and metal gear solid silent hill gets the credit for this more i think of of saying here's a technical limitation that we're using um that's like we're, we're making it seem like this is artistic well they're not making it seem like they're using it for in a, in a way you would deliberately anyway like the kind of void in silent hill which is kind of like light same thing with Shadow Moses, right? Like, you feel until the very end, like, it's kind of this infinite gloom and this kind of, like, gothic yeah. castle you're in. And... It is, it, you know, overused but liminal. You know, there are, like, yeah. there are so many things that are just, like, hallways that you're running through. And you just, there are all these places where it's, like, the only, this is only, I think, gosh, I and it was maybe you... Uh, who wrote in your essay but it's like every bot or every guard has like 200 square feet that's like their entire world and they <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. nothing happens there and they just walk there endlessly <laughs> it's a living yeah it's a very um it's it's a very kind of like i i i think i, I keep using the word favorite <laughs> but i i do think shadow moses maybe with the exception of the the, the mansion of the police station from the the first two resident evil games I think I think Shadow Moses is like my favorite video game, you know, place. And I even went so far as to like look on a map and see where those kind of islands are at the bottom of Alaska and sort of imagine them in 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 reality. And it's just a place that stinks of like like death, but not death in a kind of not death in a sort of like decomposing way in a sort of like ethereal ghostly, you know, something something is just hanging over that place. It's like the Overlook Hotel, but you know, with nuclear bombs. You, know, um, in it. you bring that up and I had not thought of this until yesterday uh, to shout someone else out, Thor High Heels. I was watching their video about MGS. And um, we talked on the episode before with George about like the section of the game where the, it, Kojima like 
gets into um, the carelessness behind nuclear disposal and like plutonium. And something Thor pointed out, and Ed, I think you're getting at here too, and I hadn't thought about it at all, was how decrepit a lot of Shadow Moses is and how like it is ostensibly this very important facility to making sure uh, the environment is not just like being destroyed by nuclear waste. And it's like, well, the fucking facility is falling apart. Like they're not taking care of any of this. And I thought that was like so fascinating. It's, it's like a, yeah, it, it, it's a ghost of, you know, this sort of like Cold War nuclear hysteria that's, that's still there. I think it's it's worth noting that the game has actual ghosts in it, um, both in the form of the ninja when the ninja is invisible. That 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 corridor scene where you first encounter the ninja, it's like a a great kind of ghost moment, one of the best, yeah. But you can also, if you if you find the camera or unlock the camera after you finish the game, if you take pictures with the camera at certain areas, then you there, there are oh. ghosts on the photographs. They're they're well, they're pictures of the development team. Yeah. But they're pulling like ghostly faces. I had no clue about Um, that. And yeah, so cool. And you can press a button that says "exercise," and it makes their their pictures disappear. So the the whole the game is like literally haunted. It's so interesting to like juxtapose a lot of that stuff because there's there's so much talk in this game about the like development of weapons and you know what what they say black budgets or whatever, and then you slam that against Shadow Moses, which is like supposed to be kind of this good antidote to all of this was well, like well at least we're disposing of these things in the right ways and it's like well no no one's paying for this shit it's just falling apart it's like the only thing we the hope we have if we're gonna have these weapons is not being taken care of and i think that shit is awesome and also just like choosing to put it on this you know the fox archipelago so you can have this this kind of like edge of the world sensation like everything's black and it's it's the sea and it's frozen and and at the but you also it's Alaska too, so then you can have this stuff at the end where it's like, oh, there's the caribou, the elevation say it's a sign of life, and you know, beautiful nature. It feels like you exit reality sort of, and the, the the end of the game is like a return to the real world. It's like Shadow Moses exists somehow outside of reality, but it's also where the kind of fate of the world is decided. It's like a sort of like a Valhalla or something. It's this you know, or, or Olympus. It's this like other dimension that you go to, the the direction of the entire world is somehow decided here, and then you come back to reality. I, I, I Yeah, that's how I see it. Taking a hard left turn, there's a character I never met in this game that I did not even know existed until yesterday. And I guess it's the oh. the, the woman, the, the weapons specialist? N- N- Natasha. N- N- Natasha Romanenko. Yeah, Natasha. Yeah. How do you find out who she is? Don't they just give her your codec? Or I'd never give, talk to her a single her time. Codec number? I didn't even know she existed. She's very, she's totally optional. Yeah, she's totally optional, basically. And she is. Um, it's it's one of the things I thought of when you were saying like <clears throat> this game like it has this outsized reputation, and then it's uh it is like this seven hour thing. But like when I was a kid, I really like wrung the juice out of those codec calls. Like, I, I was calling everyone constantly. And it's, like, stuff like that. You go back to it now, and I, I don't play it the same way when I go back to it. I don't, you know, spend forever listening to the codex. But there are so many conversations in there that you can just miss that are really interesting. And all the stuff with her is she pretty much is... I think she talks about military gear as well, but she's a nuclear weapons expert. That's her whole thing. Um, who's, like, kind of... I think like an advisor or something after after the fall of the Soviet Union, I think. 
that's her goal i never encountered um, her one of one of my i think my favorite piece of writing in the game comes from what i assume is a completely optional codec call which is one to mei ling where you know usually you call her and she's just like ah here's a you know here here's someone saying something about the art of war or like you know just a random quote that you get by searching quotes.com but like there's one where she just starts talking about memory and kind of like hey once you save these things these aren't memories anymore which is very close to like my favorite calvino quote from invisible cities which is like uh memories images once placed in words are erased but like she has she has this whole conversation with snake where he's like, no, 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 D data technology will get to the point where it can record everything. And and she says, like, no matter how far data technology advances, you'll never be able to penetrate the human heart. And it's like this just, you know, this this conversation about, like, what does saving something to memory mean, both like on the PlayStation console, but also just like in real life? And what are you losing by doing that? And it's just completely out of nowhere. It wasn't really relevant to anything that was happening in the game. And I was just like so tickled by it um but we actually what we need to talk about is um the next fight which is where the title of y'all's book comes from because um you fight sniper wolf a second time uh in a battle that is much less annoying than the first one uh for for the record um and then uh and then you have like even though the psycho mantis fight certainly ends with this you know long monologue about kind of how shitty his life was and why he did the things he did this kind of feels like this is the one for the game right like the conversation that you have with sniper wolf after you you shoot her in the lungs um feels kind of you know while i was playing it i was like this is this is crystallizing something about the game like this this feels like one of the big conversations yeah i think ed do you want to talk about that at all because i do that was like when we were thinking of names for the book and kind of going through some dialogue and stuff from the from the series and everything and then when that one stuck out i was just like oh well there it is that's that's metal gear that's that's kind of the whole thing right but i don't know if you want to talk about that more Ed. not to not to like harp too much on the book i think that the, the reason that we picked okay hero was because there's something in metal gear solid that is about this sort of conflict between, uh, you know, reality and legend and uh, sort of grandeur and brutality. So you've got, you know, hero, which is obviously a word with like connotations of, you know, enormous kind of like grandeur. And again, you know, sort of, um, uh, you know, bravery and courage in that sort of like mythical sense. And then, okay, which is about as casual and, and, and kind of flippant a phrase as you can get. Um, and I think that the, the, the whole series is, the, the the drama of the whole series kind of emanates from that tension between reality and and, and legend. Um, in terms of that scene, I think that it's where again something that I was talking about earlier on that combination of sincere conviction and a real sort of appetite for you know humanity and and themes of humanity mixed with an element of almost like caricature and almost um not exactly soap opera but basically soap opera that's that that scene has it all because she's talking about you know growing up in Kurdistan she's talking about her you know her her 
very sort of like profound trauma from being a child soldier for being a soldier her entire life it's a wonderful bit where she talks about you know and then one day he appeared and it's a big boss that she's referring to um but then yeah you also have you know snake putting the napkin on her face and saying you know i've got no more tears to shred and that that shot where he's like he's like walking away and he's framed in sort of like almost perfect 16-9. And he kind of turns around and does that sort of heroic look over one shoulder. And it's like, you know, even, even the creators of James Bond wouldn't go, wouldn't go there. Um, so there's this wonderful marriage, again, of that, of that sort of like low and high art. Or that kind of like low and high th- thematic stuff that I think you get in Metal Gear Solid. But I think ultimately, like, especially when I was playing it most recently... I, and maybe this is me being a sap, maybe this is me being like kind of too, too kind of seduced by the game overall, but I, I, I still find it, I find it moving. I, I, I think that she, yeah, I was gonna say. She, she's credited as Julie Monroe. I don't think that that is actually the actor's name because they used pseudonyms. Yeah, everyone except Hater used the pseudonym. Everyone uses a pseudonym. Um, but for the sake of argument, Julie Monroe, I think it's a, a really great performance and it's just, there's something that I find automatically emotive about the snow and the dark and they're alone and this she's dying. Like every single character in this game gets that moment where they're dying and they have that sort of like, you know, that kind of admission, that sort of like admonition, not admonition, sorry, that admittance, you know, of something. And hers, I think, is the most sort of vulnerable. You know, Psycho Mantis talks about hatred and killing people. He then gets that, you know, um, it feels kind of nice as as he drops dead. But but nevertheless, hers is the most, I think, humanizing. Whereas it, despite the fact that she's the character, she's the she's she's the the boss that kind of fucks things up for you the most because she's the one that shoots Meryl. But she's the one that you end up feeling the most sympathy for. And I think that that's that there's something very very um, there's something I like about that a lot. Yeah. Uh, the the actress's name is uh, Tassia Valenza. Uh, the the real person i think they all came back for um twin snakes and they were all credited as their actual right right. Uh, she also she has the the line i watch the stupidity of mankind through the scope of my rifle which is again it's like yeah you know (laughs) sometimes you just nail it this is also one of those things i think ed you like hit it on the head the best is yet to come this scene is yeah the the gaelic one works really well here that that uh I think that theme plays quite a few times. It, yeah, it's the soprano, and then it turns into that like uh, chorus of voices. And you have that, the way it kind of swells in is, is I think, very, very well done. And then you also have like the, the wolves howling in the background. And just like you were saying, there is just something inherently like capital R romantic about uh. um you know, a spot of light in, in the snow at night. And... I don't want to cut across you too much. You just reminded me that there's a really good moment in that scene because it, re- it relates to that song. And it's like, as the song is almost like cresting, it's after she's died, it's after Snake shot her. As the, the song kind of like, almost like climaxes, it cuts to Snake reloading his gun and he says, all right, I'm going to get Metal Gear, you know, we're out of time. And it just like cuts into this like really sort of pragmatic, mercenary, you know, he's got no emotion in that scene. There's like a little bit of respect for her as a fellow soldier, but while Otacon's like bawling and wailing, he's reloading his pistol and saying, you know, I'm going to the Metal Gear Underground base, we're out of time. And it's just, there's just like so much of his character in that where there's all this emotion around him, but he's like forced to reject it and just be the sort of pragmatic, you know, tool of the government as as Grey Fox says later on. Um, 
yeah, sorry, I, I I just wanted to mention that bit. No, and and you know even more the the kind of punctuation point after it, which I was absolutely not expecting, and was so I was so happy that it was still in, is that scene ends. You walk into you know a warehouse, go downstairs, and then it goes like doo, 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 insert disc. So two. good, and it's like it is this. It's this very intentional, you know, like it is it is even though it's it's way more than halfway through the game itself. It is this just like dividing line that again makes like it makes this moment feel important. Like it makes it feel like the finale of act 1 and then you're going into act 2, but it's like <laughs> much like the uh you know the lighting and the kind of render distance and whatever it is a technical limitation that they needed to put this game on two discs that is like being used in kind of the most evocative way that it possibly could be mm -hmm. absolutely it's we're, we're we've crossed the line here we're going the, the, there's no going back after this it's that yeah it's that descent thing you know you're literally going down the stairs you literally go down the stairs into a room that's full of like fire and smoke and you know brimstone if you like uh and then you go down the elevator and you go down another elevator and then you finally get to metal gear and it is like you know you, you you've you've crossed over some like a, another line into a kind of another reality and you're you're entering this sort of like end game i could talk about this game forever and, and all the different things but i think just like one little thing i wanted to say here too and and i i think we've talked about this on some podcast before ed i'm sure but there was also this sense to playing this, especially as a you know a kid. Basically, um, this game didn't and doesn't, I think, as, as kind of direct and and over-explanatory as as Kojima and the other writers can be. The game doesn't really talk down to you. And this sequence, I very distinctly remember playing it as a kid and being like, "What's what's occurred? What's the Gulf War? What is?" And then it's like, hey, start, you know, start picking at things here and you're going to understand things about like Saddam Hussein is not just like the mustache guy you see on the news. It's it's this whole thing to look into. Um, and uh, it, it was sort of like this. It's like when you were reading or like watching an action movie when you were a kid or something or or reading a book that was too old for you kind of. And and the sense of like, oh, I need to kind of catch up to yeah. to like know about the world. And and the game kind of doing that, I think, was I think you see it here, and it, it's just like a really I like that, and and the the willingness to actually like bring up things that are you know and and sensitive topics too, and and just bring them up and say this is we're we're talking about the real world here. Yeah, I think that's a really cool point. I mean, there's there's definitely we talked about this a little bit last episode, but there's definitely an element of Kojima's writing. We compared him to Lars von Trier, where he thinks some of his ideas are so brilliant that he doesn't trust the, the player to get them and he overexplains them. Yeah. But yeah. um what you're getting at, which I totally agree with, is like Kojima and you know whoever else was like writing on this game, wanting people, it wouldn't have been Google at the time, but for lack of a better verb here, to Google things, which is like something I don't do when I play video games that I do all the time while reading books or watching movies. It's like, stop, Google whatever they dropped in there and like get the background. And it's like, I'd never really thought much about the Kurds in my life. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, maybe I should Google them to understand more about Sniper Wolf. And there's all this stuff in here that I think is like begging players to learn which, you know, is the dream of video games is they can be like learning tools like any piece of media, but I haven't learned much from God of War 2018, you know? 
Let's see. Yeah. My next note is this blast furnace fucking sucks. Uh, we don't have to talk about it. There's there's that one part where you have to sidle along the wall uh, that I was just like, what the bad. fuck's going on you here? Cannot, you, you can actually skip that, right? By um, You can blow it up if you shoot it with a stinger. Oh. That thing that moves back and forth. Oh, gosh. It, but you, but you alert the guards. But you can you can blow it up and you can just cross over there with that if you do the crouch. Well, that's yeah. cool. Um, the... <laughs> There's a, a codec conversation that I like. We we haven't really talked about the kind of the politicking of the um your support team. Like, you know, when when you are kind of accusing Campbell of lying to you and the various other things, but at some point, um uh I guess it's Miller or Liquid as Miller who realizes that Naomi is lying to you. But the the thing that tips him off is she tells some story about how her father worked for, like, uh, J. Edgar Hoover. And then Miller's like, Hoover was a well-known racist. He never would have worked with a Japanese man. <laughs> Which I just thought, I was like, I loved seeing that line. I loved that part. And then they get into, like, um, her grandfather worked to bring down the mafia. But he was like, that didn't, that didn't start until 1960. She said it was 1953 loved that section i was like this is paying off it's another it's like kojima read a book and he's gonna tell you about it it was one of the rare moments where i was like thank you kojima for your cliff notes you're gonna see too so much more as as these games go on is kojima does not have a lot of respect for that's fine american institutions yeah nor should he um which is also a, a good thing when you're 12 and you're like J. Edgar Hoover was a well-known racist. This <laughs> is like mind-bending stuff here. This is very exciting. And then we've got the boss fight against Vulcan Raven, which, Blake, you want to talk about. It's the one part of the game you enjoyed. So good, dude. This fight rocks. I loaded into it. Uh, Campbell was like, can't attack him from the front. And I was like, yeah, obviously. He's got a fucking Gatling gun. I'm not dumb. So figuring out how to fight him, which I'll be curious to know how you all fought him was so fun to me because it felt like uh this game actually being an immersive sim for me um where i was like hmm well they're giving me a lot of stinger missiles but that seems annoying to navigate so what if i just set up all his main pathways with claymores so that he'll walk into them and i beat the fight in like yeah three minutes it was so quick i was just like okay you know you can see where he's coming and that helps a little bit but like also he follows pretty just rudimentary pathways it was awesome i felt so smart figuring that whole thing out it was so fun i think it's it's the boss fight where you've got the most options yeah yeah yeah. because you can you can sting at him it's also the only like stealth one for a stealth game yeah actually it is you're right fuck yeah, you can you can you can stinger him, you can Nikita him, you can claymore him, you can grenade him, you can actually even use the FAMAS. It will it will damage him very, very slowly. And it was awesome like using his AI against him to be like, okay, well he has this huge cone of vision, so I can stand at the other end of the room and get out of the way before he can shoot me, but that will direct him down this hallway where I need him. And I thought like I thought that shit was so so good great boss fight he was also like and and i i don't know if this is just a kid memory well enough but i was like he was terrifying when i was a kid yeah just because i think they do a great job with the sound of him like thumping along and you hear the the bandoliers or the or the belt of uh, bullets and when he starts like panting and stuff as it goes on and 
it's uh it's great it's just like a rhinoceros in a room with you it's questionable representation yeah because it's like it is it is made clear that he is uh indigenous he's specifically sue um you know and it's like he he is kind of playing this mystical almost grim reaper character i mean he has like this this supernatural connection with ravens that are like flying all over which like is not you know the sniper wolf has a connection with her wolves so that's not unique but like he does have these things to say to snake that are like outside the plot of the game and are just kind of like reading snake as a person which are uh which i really enjoyed even though it is a little bit of kind of like the uh you know the the magical native american like saying stuff that snake couldn't know about himself i i feel like kojima's uh uh approach to uh representing people and i was thinking about this before when you were like thinking of the different uh why am i they're foxhound in this right the uh the terrorists um and thinking about how they're kind of like from different countries like i i don't think they name it specifically in this game but i'm pretty sure psycho mantis is hungarian or maybe Serbian or something. I, I in my head he was Romanian, but that's Vamp, actually in Metal Gear Two. That's, yeah, that's Vamp. That's he's. You know, I th- I, I, I think you. I think you might be right. I feel like he's Serbian. Here, here I go googling because he does talk about growing up and and people in his village like killing their neighbors for no reason. Acc- right? Doesn't he talk about that in this game or a different? Apparently, one? according to the villains wiki the generic villains wiki he was born in the soviet union there could be a lot of places but that's all that's all we've got sorry i didn't mean to derail this but uh just thinking of he he it's like you see i think there's a curiosity about people from different cultures and 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 i think kojima and his team are very uh in a way that i find like refreshing like very willing to be like well people are from this place like what's the history and culture of this place i'm interested in it and I think he does the same for Raven, being like he's he's Sue, but at the same time he's very willing to also be like, and here's the stereotypes. It's like a you know like Street Fighter Two, except they're also going to talk to you about their culture in a way that's like edifying in a certain sense. And so he'll, it's like I always feel like it's it's sort of double edged where you're like, well that's not great, but also like he has this whole thing in like Phantom Pain too, where there's a Dine code talker yeah and it and it's also kind of the like the mystical indigenous like um you know this guy who who understands like the world beyond the world and and nature and things which is you know uh but he's also talking about like the plight of his people and like talking about like uh all these different things and vulcan raven has kind of always read like that to me and you know it's obviously it's not my place to to say whether it's kind of like offensive or not but i i do think you see it's kind of a thing where it's like you're painting with a broad brush but you do care yeah i mean you know the the fact that they at least give him like i am sue and not just like i'm a native like he doesn't say like i'm an indian which you feel like would be kind of the easy way for it to go he talks about he talks about some i mean this is me this is like total total ignorance but he you know he makes references to some know specific elements of what in the game is characterized as sioux culture i'm not saying that it's actually part of sioux culture in reality but the game you know references some specific elements like he talks about what they call the olympics yeah and things like that yeah Um, a very visceral image yeah you know he talks about some some parts of his heritage i guess 
Um, this yeah. section is really interesting. It does highlight uh, one of my least favorite things that happened in this game, though. Did you know, Jacob, I know you didn't, but read, Ed, that in cold areas of Metal Gear Solid, your rations can freeze. <laughs> I, I did know this, yes. I forgot about that. I You can also get a cold. That's right, you can, yeah. And I, I never found the medicine to get rid of my cold, so I just accepted it. Uh, now, <laughs> there... There is a specific brand of Kojima logic in his games where it's clear Kojima has thought a lot about this. And so uh, the solution is obvious to him, even if it's not obvious to other people. And I think sometimes that's really cool, like switching the controller port in the Psycho Mantis fight. There are other times where your rations freeze and the solution is to just equip them so they unfreeze. Oh, I didn't know that was how you fixed it. I thought you had to leave the... That's that's how you can fix it is just equip it and eventually it will unfreeze. Uh, I spent the majority of the final few hours of this game not being able to use my rations because I could not figure out the specific brand of Kojima logic, which is, oh, yeah, your legs warm enough to thaw a frozen food. Yeah, yeah, that's that's one of those flourishes that perhaps is a little frustrating. Yeah. Um, Now, on the other hand, similarly, when you have to uh, change the temperature of the key card, I thought that shit was brilliant. I really liked that quite a lot we'll, we'll talk about that but yeah it's like you if you held it it would stay warm for long that's how thawing food works right that's when i need to thaw frozen food i just hug that, it that's for exactly an hour. <laughs> just take ground beef and just hold it against yeah. my naked chest <laughs> like a baby kojima <laughs> logic man it's truly a special brand of uh <laughs> mechanics you get when he doesn't have people say <laughs> no enough in his life uh the, the last 25 percent of this game I feel like is maybe maybe even less but it's um it's something that I thought was a very cool the first time and then I was like wait is this this is just what I have to do every time where you you after Vulcan Raven you enter a hangar oh my god Metal Gear is there it's the whole thing you can look up at it Jacob did you audibly to yourself out loud say Metal Gear because that's what I did immediately walking I did say that yep um I love that the camera is not above as it is in all other stealth sections. It's like, you know, kind of profile. So you can like look at it. It's so cool. And then there is this like complex series of catwalks where you have to like climb up ladders and climb up and go over it and walk over. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is so much time they're letting us spend with Metal Gear. Like how cool is this? And then uh, you realize that you have to climb up and down those ladders seven times. Because it's like, you have a key card, you drop the key card, you go up, plug it in once, then you change the temperature, plug it in again, and a third time. And by, you know, the ninth time I was climbing up and down those ladders, I was like, I get it, it's Metal Gear. Uh, But seeing it in person and getting to actually, like, run around it and obviously having the final boss on top of it, I do really love how much the game kind of physicalizes that mech as like a thing that exists in the same world as snake i think that the there's something to be said for that kind of like back and forth as in exactly like you described you know giving you the sense of how big it is they've had to set up this kind of system of like ladders and scaffolding um because oftentimes in in games where you fight a big robot it just kind of appears um and they do it again i guess in that in that punch up because it's like you know if you fall off the edge of this thing then then you're going to die like we're really we're really high up 
I I think that the the back and forth with the go to the blast furnace, go to the cold storage. I think it's it's one of the only times that the game feels like it's padded. It's like we've we've got a lot of codec. We've got a lot of codec that we've got to fit in here, and we need to just sort of just just kind of fill for time while we do a lot of codec stuff. Because like every every key journey also has like a like the colonel calls you to say oh yeah we're we're we're, we're thinking it might be naomi and then master miller calls you to say oh it's it, it's the one time that that momentum i think that i that, that, we, that we talked about before um stops drops out i think i'm like in the middle here because it's like Going through that hangar room is annoying, especially when you pick up a bomb and Campbell doesn't tell you that you have a bomb and it blows you up nine <laughs> times in a row. It's fucking so insufferable. Uh, but I like the logic of the key card puzzle a lot, and I like that it tests your knowledge of the game's map. It's not the most in-depth thing, but it's like, oh yeah, there was that weird lava room. I guess I should go there and just lay on the ground for a few minutes. Like, I really like that. And I think it outweighs the kind of tedium of climbing Metal Gear over and over, killing the one guy over and over who's right outside that door. Drop, snipe him, so you can go back and be like, I got a cold card now. Uh, I think I like it. I think, well, and, and then it. you have to go in and you've got to throw chaff grenades multiple times to turn off the cameras. Um, <laughs> Hold on, one thing we didn't talk about really quick. The, the it's like two rooms before this is the room where you go in and there's thirty cameras. Oh, the... <laughs> it's so fucking funny. Yeah, that's uh, very good. Um, here's here's my question, and sorry to do this. Why the fuck would the keycard be designed like that? What possible purpose does it serve to be like, no, 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 it's not three, it's just one, because and then you have to get it cold, Jacob, and then you have to get it hot. Kojima logic dictates that no one tells him no enough, and it just happened to work out this time that it was a cool solution to a puzzle, but usually it's uh... As a weapons failsafe, it would make a lot more sense to have three individual keys. Mm-hmm belonging to three different people it's so funny too when you do the solution and it's like okay cool bomb activated it's like well god damn it they, <laughs> the the i love that payoff the the twin snakes which i've actually not played i've never played the, the twin snakes but they do uh they they it's like they've been listening to this podcast because what happens in that one is you you find uh in the Metal Gear hangar itself, there's a pipe that's burst, and so steam's coming out of it. Uh, so if you stand next to that long enough, it heats the key. And then there's there's an area in the Metal Gear hangar that's that's cold, so you just go and stand next to that. So they cut out basically that whole backtracking. Yeah, I wouldn't defend it like when I earlier when we were talking about like this game's very well paced. It's there's not a lot of uh, extra weight or padding on it. This came to mind right away i will say though remembering too that like your payoff for doing all this is like hey thanks you idiot good job like that that is kind of a good like oh you very much are an errand boy like you are you know uh traveling a bunch of distances and it's a pain in the no end. it is it is very funny as is the uh the liquid reveal where um Miller takes off his sunglasses and lets down his hair in the codec call uh, to reveal that he's liquid. Um, can we talk about the all the dominant, all the recessive genes uh, thing? Because that, that one, it that is, one pisses me off. It is so funny. I, it's just, it's like I, I kind of poetically 
I understand it. I think it's I think it's like a decent way to be like, okay, they formed two people out of one person. But just the idea of being like, uh, Snake has brown hair and Liquid has red hair because red hair is a recessive gene and that makes him lesser is just like so goofy. I, this is not going to make for good podcasting, but uh, I'm going to defer to you three on this whole portion of the game because once Liquid got into the genome shit, my brain went, I was like, I, I, I fucking can't with this. I just, I'm not engaged. Like, what do you, like, what do you think about the super baby method? Yeah, the super baby. Method. I wrote that down. Super I baby heard, method. I, that's one of the only things I heard in the entire conversation, and I was like, what the fuck are they talking about? Brain went back off. <laughs> I was like, I, I was, I was checked out when the genome shit happened. So I'll sit here quietly and listen. The, the thing that bothers me about the whole dominant recessive gene uh, conceit is oh so hang on let me just try and get this right so liquid is angry at snake because it's you know you got all the dominant genes right so we established that snakes liquid i i do the liquid snake impression on uh bullet points by the way if you want to hear more of that you should subscribe to (laughs) subscribe (laughs) to bullet points so so snakes got all the dominant genes right uh and liquid is furious about that but then in the revolver ocelot phone call after the end of the credits it's actually you know snake had all the recessive genes and liquid had the dominant genes and it's like the game is trying just to impart one last time how much of like a badass snake is because even though he has the recessive genes he still beat liquid snake Right, because it if you're like it, it, it feels like a, a strange concession to the ego of the video game player that if you won, even though you had the dominant genes, it's like you were cheating a little bit. But don't worry, actually. Yeah, but no, game, it's like tech, you were the underdog the whole you time. You were the underdog, yeah. But then you could also excuse it and say that like it's this thing about how fate has uh, like exactly ground him down, but he's sort of like becoming himself and, and beyond the confines of genetics. Exactly. You're not dictated by your genes and your biological fate. So there's a lot there's a lot in it. That reminds me too that when we get to sort of the last lines here, it is very funny when Snake asks how much longer he's got to live. It's like tell me doctor how much longer? And the doctor is just like, hey, don't worry about it. Just imagine, <laughs> imagine going to your doctor and them saying that. Like, you just don't, just don't think about don't it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> just <live>. um, <laughs> uh, But after after this reveal and the um, uh, well, so you start fighting Metal Gear. Uh, you you have to shoot stingers at it. Whatever. It's you know, it's kind of an annoying fight, but it's cool that you're fighting Metal Gear and it's moving around. But then the cool shit happens, which is Gray Fox swoops in and this was like me realizing that so much of the Raiden stuff in MGS4 specifically is just a reference to Gray Fox in one you know that it's like I loved I loved when Raiden came in at the end in in four and it's like oh yeah this is just this but um he's so cool he he fights Metal Gear he has like a big gun that shoots the explosives somehow that really mess it up um and you have uh, you have this whole conversation with with the cyborg ninja, who turns out is Gray Fox, who is also uh, what what's his name? Frank um, Frank Yeager. Frank Yeager. Yeah. Who? Yes, you you thought that you killed in Zanzibar, and the whole reason that Naomi infected you with Fox Die 
was in revenge for killing her adopted brother, but then it turns out that Frank Yeager, her adopted brother, killed her parents, and he feels so bad about that. And so there's like, there's a lot of kind of twists and turns that somewhat rolled off me. I, I would love to hear if they worked emotionally for any of y'all, but like, what does absolutely work is gray fox just taking one for the team and getting fucking yeah. annihilated by I think Metal Gear. there's an element of this game still being a sequel technically that really pops up here that just like i couldn't i was not emotionally engaged enough with any of these characters and especially the past events of other games that a lot of this kind of rolled off me unfortunately i having not played those first two when i played that i was like that's so evocative like when we last saw each other and we fought hand to hand in a minefield and i was just like yeah that's that's great i i yeah the naomi stuff is a little like overworked you can kind of see what they're going for but it's a, a few too many things stacked on top of each other it's there's a, there's a line where he says because i'm the one who killed her parents and it really yeah. comes out of nowhere. And it's like, fucking hell, we are really... It's like one thing after another. <laughs> I do like when he dies, though, when Snake's like, I, I, I can't do it. When he had the stinger on him. And, right, uh... no, it's a it's a great moment where, where Metal Gear has him pinned against the wall and the cockpit's open. And so Snake could shoot a stinger in there, but would presumably blow up gray fox and um and and harper again writes in, in her kotaku piece uh that it is this fascinating moment of disconnect between you and solid snake mm -hmm. where it's like mm -hmm. you are not him you know like he is a guy and he is going to make his own decisions and this that that decision here is like he can't kill this this friend or you know colleague in arms there's great stuff in it too like when when he does uh when liquid lets him go and his body kind of just becomes meat and just even with uh you know the the animation being what it is uh, at the time just the way he falls like dead weight is um is is maybe one of the most like very corpsey kind of things you see in that game uh i also and this is part of the reason i'm like the oddicon ending is the way to go well, i guess they both kind of work anyway is that like i don't know i always read this in part as this is like snakes to whatever degree and it almost doesn't matter this is like his boyfriend essentially who uh -huh. he is you know the flame from the past who was like the heathcliff in in this mansion here and he's back and he's changed and they can't know each other and they have to you know have this uh not at all sexually charged fist fight where they're both groaning at each other and then it's like he has to die here he, yeah yeah he, he has to give himself and finally it's the reconciliation and it's like you know and now he can move on with Otacon or uh, uh. you know like it's it's just to me it's like always has that kind of in it and and something about the way that when he's like yeah I think that disconnect between player and snake is really interesting as well I always got a lot from just like this guy just so alive and but he's also like a zombie man and then just like collapsing and, and now we have to like finish it now we have to move forward from the past i'm an absolute sucker for uh i'm gonna die so you can live like that just gets me in like in, in anything right and we were talking on about we we're talking earlier about you know just 
just lines that, that really sing in this game. And uh, his whole, you know, after Zanzibar, I was taken from the battle, neither truly alive nor truly dead. And then he says, you know, an undying shadow in the world of lights. It's like, that's fucking Shakespearean. I mean, it's not, yeah. but it, it's like, it's like, you know, it's, good. It, it's Metal Gear Shakespeare. It's Metal Shakespeare. <laughs> um, and, and I, I just love it. You know, it. and it's, it, it is interesting, this idea of like him, him needing to die where he also talks about what is a theme of this game that i think is a theme of the series which is like you know he refers to kind of men who can only find meaning in combat that like the they are they are just so alienated from society or a normal life or whatever that like their only purpose and the only place that they feel like they're doing anything is on the battlefield and him dying is again kind of being like hey snake and, and what everyone is telling Snake at the end of the game is like, don't do that. You know, like you need to figure out how to live not as a soldier. In uh, This sounds self-aggrandizing. In the article that I wrote for the book, I, I, I used a phrase I think I borrowed from a French philosopher, the name of whom I can't remember, who talked about uh, the, the the ghosts of futures that have never happened. And that that to me is what Grey Fox represents. It's like, this is what Snake could become. Um, someone who is just, you know, like it's that clockwork orange thing of like alive but mechanized, you know, a, a soldier who exists only for war. Um, and he has to die because that kind of closes one potential future for Solid Snake. Like he he he's no longer at risk of becoming Grey Fox because Grey Fox has, has his death somehow prevents Snake from becoming like that. I mean, I mean, I I think it also like speaks directly to the video game analogy of like this game being about like maybe don't spend your life playing video yeah. games. It's like by yeah. 1998, and I don't want to speak too broadly about a country I don't live in, but like otaku culture was firmly a thing, and like. Get, we still deal with people who like completely um submit their identity to like i'm an xbox gamer i'm a playstation gamer it's like that kind of speaks to like you know no world outside of in this case in the game's narrative combat but, <laughs> bro yeah live, yeah live i mean outside i think that's wars. like literally what is being said here in some way you know like i think it works course, i think it works yeah. as a multiple like two different analogies i think it does speak to actual like veterans and just like we've seen the way America treats veterans and how they are kind of just like consumed by what happened there and don't get the help they need. So they live in that moment forever. And also the people who play this game and will argue about it online and who seven years later would send Kojima death threats because he didn't want to make MGS4. It's like maybe go fucking touch grass, you know, like I think it's working on two different levels that's, here. That's why I think like one and two are kind of tied. I think like even if you don't, like playing too i think you'll get a lot out of because the the metal gear games really reward like a lot of different kinds of readings like you can, you can look at them in a lot of different ways and i think there's like something very very rich in each one as well of what they're saying about games and like spending your life and, and kojima is a guy who's like what is it like my body is 99 percent movies or something like he, he's a guy who is very well aware. Like Death Stranding has the uh, the winding ref and character who's like, yeah, I'm spending my time watching bits of movies. Best cut scene in the books. game, yeah. Like, yeah, and uh, Hartman, that's who it was. And uh, you know, I, I and I think he's aware of that there's also a reading that that people have had where you can also look at Kojima sort of saying like, this is how I feel as someone making Metal Gear over exactly uh, that you. Can 
And it's 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 like yeah, it's like Metal Gear. Like it it works as just a straightforward action game. I think as this very colorful thing. It also it just is sort of lots lots going on. That you can it's pick it's up on. taking a step back. It's, it's something I was just thinking about. Is like when I'm in a Kojima game. I'm often so, I think he is so bad at writing dialogue most of the time that I'm like, why is he the guy? You know, that all these celebrities and like other creators from other media, I'm like, why is he the one they worship over? And it's only when I like take a step back from his games and talk about them with people and like, you know, kind of forget about all the dumb Princess Beach moments in his games that I'm like, oh, there is something like really interesting going on here and like he is thinking about like his games in a way that is really fascinating that transcends all the moments where he's up his own ass that i think is like compelling and worth like praising maybe not as much as we've praised him over the last 20 years maybe we should take a step back slightly on that but yeah it's it's good to like talk about these games and be like i hated playing this but there's like value in it that is like easily recognizable so, you know, shouts out to Kojima. We all just worship at the feet of his altar. Um, he makes all these games by himself, as Keeley would have us believe. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's always important that when you think of, like, the most is sort of, like, a really deftly accomplished art that he's made. And then you also think of, like, quiet, you know? Yep. Uh, no, and, and we talked, I mean, the amount of times you can see Meryl in her underwear in this game is, is just like, there is some level of him where he's just like a horny guy who likes to put women in compromising yeah, he, positions. I mean, I think, like, the further he has gotten his, in his career and his legacy in mythology has grown, like, to say it again, I think he has just lost the people, especially now that he heads his own independent studio, he has lost the people in his professional life to tell him no and i think in the case of something like death stranding you get what i find to be one of the most like compelling games of the last 10 years mechanically up against a game with like that fucking princess beach cut scene which i feel like no matter which way you cut it is bad fucking writing it is a bad moment in that game's story and there was clearly no editor there to be like no stop and it's just like it's weird playing them because you have to constantly kind of be balancing that while you're engaging with them and definitely while you're thinking about them afterwards it's like where where does the good outweigh the bad with this dude i think for me he uh there's metal gear solid one there's metal gear solid two and then there's metal gear solid three which is like good for a video game but not good good and then everything else he's done i i think is no death stranding is i know i know you really like death stranding i i I could you're you're with death stranding defenders on this podcast yeah Yeah. i i I just can't get around the 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 repetition again you gotta come in with an open heart it starts so well high tolerance for really rough misogyny you're gonna have to get over that as well here's the thing ed it also ends so well there is an entire feature-length movie at the end of that game that rocks it's so rad. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> Mads Mikkelsen is turning it day. up in the Maybe end of that day. game. Oh, man. Let's play Death Stranding for next season. <laughs> it's something rotten. Death Stranding. Here's what I'll say, Jacob, to get us to the end. You fight Liquid on the yes. Metal Gear. Shit rocks. Loved it. Was like, yes, what a way What a way to end this game. And then the game doesn't end, and that sucks. <laughs> is it keeps going after this liquid liquid says a bunch of shit that i also realized another thing that like armstrong in metal gear rising one of my favorite games is kind of regurgitating about just like how the world is too soft and like we need war to give men purpose and blah 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 
all that shit. Um, yeah, you fist fight him. It's it's good as hell. Uh, love it. I love when you fall off the edge and pull yourself back up. Um, there's a line where Liquid talks about more genetic shit, where he says that uh, there were eight babies and uh, like in in utero, and six of them died, so Snake and Liquid could live. And uh, my wonderful partner Annie, who was sitting next to me on the couch, was like, "What the fuck is he like? Super pro life? Uh... What is that?" Because the idea of like a bunch of fetuses dying in utero, being like six died, so we could live. I, after playing Death Stranding, asked a similar question about Kojima, and I think he might be pro life. Yeah. Right. I think he might want to do one of his like deep dives. He might want to pick up a book, a popular science book on uh, like it, when consciousness develops in a fetus. Because I think, considering also Death Stranding has you carrying around a fetus that also acts like sort of like a two-year-old in terms of like, <laughs> right? It like knows what's going on. I mean, and and the end spoilers is like, oh my god, you decide not to abort him. Thank yeah, God. Yeah. Thank God he can raise him. <laughs> uh still one of the best video game endings ever and the boy turns out to be a girl that's the big twist at the very end remember lou is louise or whatever i think that ending's very profound i also think it's hilarious to be like she was a fucking girl (laughs) i was was carrying around a girl the umbilical cord it hit um okay yes so blake to your point uh there is an escape sequence if meryl lives uh you help her off uh, she says, looks like we're not going to have a love scene after all, which is a strange line. Uh, I assume it's the same with Otacon or Meryl in that they just drive a Jeep out of there and you shoot a bunch of shit. Yeah, and it sucks. It's bad. Yeah, it's not fun. Uh, I didn't like it. But it is, you know, it's a it's a good ending set piece. I mean, look, Halo did the same thing. Are we going to say Halo's a bad game? No, I'm not going to say that. Ben, Hold on. No, no, no. You... That, was a, that was a bad comparison, Jacob. Uh, Halo's fun to play. <laughs> yeah no it is it's just it's just it's a jeep driving out of a place you think you it's gonna explode and you can aim in halo that's the big difference there I was say, do you know what sucks about the metal gear solid thing is that the uh the little countdown doesn't actually mean anything if it gets to zero nothing happens y- yeah well you get out and colonel's like hey snake good news i, I called, called the president called the, he's not yeah, gonna bomb it yeah if if you let the timer run out i learned this the other day if you let the timer run out it just sits at zero and nothing happens it's totally illusory. The Jeep flips over. Uh, you are trapped under it with Meryl or Otacon. Uh, Li- Liquid was still alive. He drives after you. He's shooting at you in the Jeep. Uh, and he's about to kill you. And then, oh no, Fox Die gets him. And he just has a heart attack and dies in front of you. Yeah. And then for me, Otacon and uh, Snake have a really great homoerotic moment. And I was really into that. They hug and kiss. Yeah. They're like straddling the, the snowmobile. Yeah. And Snake's like, beautiful. Way, my name's Dave. And I was like, huh. Okay. Th- then they ask each other over and over. They just repeat like, so what are you going to do? I'm going to start a new life. What are you going to do? I'm going to start a new life. Snake, where are you going to go? To start a new life. And I'm like, all right, I fucking get it. Let's go. <laughs> the uh, the Otacon snowmobile scene is more sexually charged than the Meryl one. Yeah. It- 100%. And it also, it seems, I one of the many reasons I prefer it is I like to think of the end of Metal Gear Solid 1 as like, it's a comedy. You know, it's um, like not not in the ha ha sense, but in the it uh it ends with you know a, a happy a happiness and maybe a wedding, and I don't see Snake. Well, I mean the the games themselves have things to say about it, but 
I don't think Snake and Meryl, that's that's not going to last, you know? He, uh... Yeah, it, it's just not going to happen. He and Otacon, like... 100%. go into a... This is a different podcast entirely, I think. But you could do, like, your your theories about... I think Snake is a bisexual man. Who, I think Snake's asexual. No, I think he... He doesn't know how to... He, much like his creator, he has a difficult time expressing his sexuality honestly. Mm-hmm. He must hide behind it with jokes and winks. I think I think that's a great take. Um, when he says, my name is David, I wrote hater, <laughs> uh, which I yeah. doubt was intentional because, like, I, you know, I, I assume the line was written before they had cast it. But it is very weird for Snake to say my real name is and then the name of his voice actor. It feels it feels like a break with reality. It's a 2001 Space Odyssey reference because... Uh, Articon's real name is Hal Emmerich, and oh, that's yeah, right. The astronaut in two thousand and one is called Dave. So it's it's uh, so little little Kojima film knowledge there. He's seen two thousand and one: A Space Odyssey. But it also just totally feels like RoboCop when he's just like here's what, yeah, what's yeah, his yeah. real name in RoboCop like Murph, Alex or something. Murphy, yeah, Alex Murphy. Yeah, but then uh, as as we talked about a little, it ends with they drive off. They see like caribou. Um, and and there is this like just absolute stock footage nothing done to it of like the wilderness that i found very moving yeah, like yeah. and and part of it is like you know the best is yet to come is playing over it that song fucking rips every time it played in the game i was like excited and moved to hear it but like this you know after spending so much time in such an artificial area seeing these shots of nature kind of being able to read into it whatever you want about like the message of this game being like go live uh whatever and and then the title cards which is actually very similar to when we had y'all on for world at war except in this game it hits much harder is it just says like this is how many nukes are left in the world and it is it is this shocking like kind of bad ending after the good ending of you destroy Metal Gear, and so it won't be able to launch a nuclear bomb. I always liked how sort of, like, clear-eyed, how kind of, like, honest that is, of, like, here's the world, and it's beautiful, and maybe, you know, you're moved now, and and this has been this thing, and everything that's you've seen and thought about here, and it's like, try, try to live your life, and, and you know, find someone to love, and blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, yeah, and by the way, all the stuff that I was like, you should probably be concerned about this is not really getting better (laughs) and just sort of presented so matter of fact being like well if you want things if you want nature to exist and for people to love to exist then maybe you should care yeah uh but i i mean i just like i was totally emotionally satisfied at the end it really just just the the combination of music and images on my like little lizard brain was like (laughs) yes good this is this is what i want at the end of the story what a game oh and then there's a then there's a weird little phone call at the end uh where we learn that snake had the recessive genes so he was the underdog after all but also there's a well-balanced someone named solidus Who's the president? And yeah. I'm sure we'll learn more about that in Metal Gear Solid 2. And that it's Ocelot saying that. It's Ocelot on the phone. Ocelot knows what's up. He's not just a not just a cowboy. So I guess, Blake, I know you didn't you didn't like playing this game. Uh but like having not played this game, uh having spent your career 
talking about games and presumably like hearing so much about Metal Gear and kind of hearing developers cite it and and whatever like do you feel like having played it changes your your perspective or understanding on like what Metal Gear Solid uh, means to the industry or you know artistically or whatever I think in general with the game press there is a and there this is a too big a conversation to have fully here but there is such a lack and this is getting increasingly worse the further the older the game press gets there is a noticeable lack of institutional knowledge and so we end up having a lot of very similar conversations when x or y thing happens um and i think an interesting thing for me was seeing the way metal gear gets into the topic of video game violence and handles it and indicts it in some ways. And then I think about how many games have come after that where we treated their very similar, and in some cases, much more shallow, depictions of the same thing were groundbreaking, whether that's Bioshock, which I think has a cool twist, uh, Spec Ops, and then uh, The Last of Us, God of War, and The Last of Us Part Two. It was very interesting playing this game and just be like, we must have forgotten that this game did it too. And I think like the point being playing this game was really eye-opening for me to see how much of it has just been regurgitated in lesser forms over the ensuing 20 years and how I think I'm a problem. I did not research my history as a professional games press member and play this game earlier in my life. We just don't talk about this. You know, that like, we don't talk about the homages to it in a lot of cases. Like, we talk about, like, oh, that fight was cool. This moment was cool. But we don't often, like, talk about it as a reference point or a touch point for other games. And how, like, God of War saying this thing or Last of Us saying this thing is a direct reaction to Metal Gear Solid saying this thing however many years before. I thought that was really interesting to see just, like, oh, this game did it first. And we've kind of forgot that as people who have played this game have moved into PR or other careers and have left the press. And I think like the institutional knowledge of older games is lost um, over the years. Did that answer your question? Was that a weird diatribe to go on there? It's just something I've thought about a, a little bit recently. No, I, that's, that's, that's exactly what I wanted. Um, uh, Ed and Reed as, as you know, the institutional knowledge that we're lacking in terms of metal gear and otherwise, do you think that, um, should we be talking about this game more? Does it get the amount of respect that it deserves? You know, like, how do you feel kind of your own your own personal histories with Metal Gear have, you know, have, have inspired how you look at games versus, like, how we as a collective talk about games? Great. Go on, you go first. Uh, okay. I mean, it's a big question. I think it's... Metal Gear is, um, I find, sort of, like, uh, dense in the way that I, like that i like art or entertainment that i want to return to over and over it's it's you can kind of look at a single scene it's like when we're talking about like the the sniper wolf death scene um it's like well you can just talk about that for a long time there's so much going on there on just like a, a technical level um just like looking at how it's staged and, and the actual lines of dialogue and, and also like the the meaning behind each thing and, and you know like it, it's I like talking about something like Metal Gear because I like we're having these discussions and it's the same scene and, um, you know, like Blake reading these things about like how the, the kind of commentary on video games themselves like came to the forefront for you 
and just like what you're going to take from it. It's all there. It's all valid. And I think that's like one of the things where, um, you know, I was like 12 or whatever when I played this. And then I didn't really play a ton of video games for a while after. And then I saw Metal Gear Solid 2 and I was like, well, I got to get a PS2 now. I got to go get a tunnel marketing job. And um, same thing with like a PS3. And then having a PS3 is like, well, then I kept writing about games. Um, and it was in large part because like stuff like this, I know there were other things around there that I wasn't aware of, but it's like Metal Gear was like, oh, this is something to, to confront with the same kind of like vigor and, and, you know, come to it armed with new knowledge and, and, and work on it kind of, uh, as you would with like a, a really good book or a really good film or album. And, um, so I think in, in that sense, it, it's never going to be discussed enough i i feel like and it it's also a, a pre-internet and or or early internet like i don't know how much real talk there was about metal gear solid and then it's now it's become this kind of like totem and it's just like it, it just is great you know capital g and and it's be interesting to see more kind of discussions like it was so cool at that point in time when like harper j was writing the uh, was going to, I think, go through all the Metal Gear games, but, but didn't get through all of them. Um, but just that idea of like, well, no, let's return to this and, and keep picking at it and keep uh, working away at it. So I, I think, long answer to that, I think it's it should be discussed more because it's worth discussing. And I think there's more to pull out from it always. And, and different critics and and uh, are going to pull different things from it. They're going to see different things. And um yeah, I don't know. We should spend also in general, I think, more time kind of being like, you know, the video game industry, not the first to say it, but like, it's like the game awards come out and it's like, they don't talk, you, you don't want to spend any time, too much time recognizing the games that you're saying are the whole reason that we're having this award show because they're the best things that came out this year. It's like, no, let's start already getting excited for what's not out yet because it's more exciting when it doesn't exist. And it's just like, well, it's also great to... <laughs> to talk about things that do exist you know and uh spend more time on sorry that was a long-winded way of saying more metal gear please i've played this game i finished this game like maybe 50 times and that's you know that that's not an exaggeration i've played this game time and time and time again i've co-written a book on this game reed and i have done multiple i think podcast episodes on this game i've talked about this with Basically, everyone I know who plays video games, I've had a conversation with them about Metal Gear Solid at some point. And yet, on this episode, you know, 25 years after the fact, you know, th there are things that people are saying and kind of observing about it that I've never thought of before and that are new to me. And I think that that, that says quite a lot about Metal Gear Solid. It's possible, like, you can take basically any video game and you can kind of bullshit about it infinitely. But I think that you can have the kind of conversation that we've been having about this game and it is it is authentic. I I don't feel like I'm sort of having to reach for much with Metal Gear Solid. I don't feel like I'm having to. Sometimes you talk about a video game and you talk about it in a way that is kind of perhaps giving it um, uh, an artistic credibility that's not quite there. You want it to be there, and you and you want to live in a world where games are taken a bit more seriously, or as in taken seriously by their creators. Um, and so you, you might talk about how X is actually a game about this and it's actually a game about that and you kind of believe it and you kind of don't. With Metal Gear Solid, I think that everything we've talked about, you know, it, it, it completely holds up and 
it, it, it's a game that you, you really could put in front of anybody and they will get something out of it beyond just, you know, that was a fun game and, and that had some fun moments. Um, I do I do worry that its kind of popular legacy is this is a game that, that sort of defined Hideo Kojima's, you know, postmodern, slightly jokey, oh, it's that one where the screen goes black and his name's on, the, on there and you have to put the second controller in the other port. And that's become its legacy. It's kind of like, it's a bit gimmicky. And that, that bothers me for a few reasons. First of all, because, you know, a lot of that stuff is in the, it's in the 1987 one. So if you want to talk about, you know, that, the beginnings of that kind of style, it's there. I don't think that, I don't think that a lot of the kind of best elements of this game are born of Hideo Kojima exclusively. Um, and I think his later work kind of bears that out. And I think that the things that are not talked about this uh, uh, as much are the things that are are more interesting about it. You know, it, it, like I say, it's 25 years later, and the idea even now of a game that sort of directly confronts, you know, the the question of nuclear disarmament in the mainstream, in a, you know, a, a game that you buy in a box in a shop for full price, that feels still very, very rare. You know, that, that, that still feels like a very, that'd be a very sort of pioneering and progressive thing. Um, but Metal Gear Solid is kind of still remembered as, yeah, it's that one where... You have to look on the back of the CD case to get her codec number. Oh, isn't that funny and cute? And that's become kind of its legacy. Yeah, but I think, like, to your point, it's interesting how little we talked about the gimmicks of this game, you know? Like, I don't know what I expected going into talking about it, but I probably expected to spend more time on Psycho Mantis than we actually did, which was boiled down to, like, that was kind of cool. And then we talked about, like, the substance of it, which is, like, that's a testament to the game, for sure. That's, like, if you play it, you realize... No, sorry, substance is uh, Metal Gear Solid 2. No, that's subsistence. Please don't be a fake no, game. Oh, fuck. <laughs> no, fuck. No, no, no. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, Metal Gear Solid 2 is substance. No! Three subsistence. You've got, well... Well, three is subsistence, and even then, those are the special. Those are the special edition versions. I know. Ooh. I gotta go. I gotta buy a copy of MGS Two Substance for this season. I gotta go track it down in the in the so big you can city. Go skateboarding in it. Yeah, I do want to check that out. Yeah, yeah, no, but uh, <laughs> there's like it, it. It's like you know how we the Double Fine does all that great work putting out documentaries. And uh, I recently learned that um, Substance has, like, the entire design Bible of that game just on the disc. It's, like, an unprecedented look into how that game was made. So I, I want to go track down a copy so I can talk about it on the bonus episode. There's, like, a 60-odd like minute documentary. Um, yeah. And there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a novel. There's an in-universe, well, no, not novel, non-fiction book. Uh, Natasha Romanenko writes a first-hand account of the Shadow Moses incident that you can read on the disc of Metal Gear Solid 2. That's so sick. Yeah, Jacob, I'm, I'm going to try to get us a copy so we can talk about it because that shit sounds so cool. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, stay tuned. Stay tuned for next episode when Blake and I will be discussing Metal Gear Solid 2. Uh, until then, Ed and Reed, uh, genuinely, uh, what a fucking pleasure it was to have you both here talking about this. I, I feel like our conversation is a thousand times richer because of it. Oh, thank, thank you, you very much. You can get OK Hero, uh, your book, on, on Itch.io. I know it's from 2019, and I tend to disavow any of my writing that's more than like two years old, but... I think it holds up. I think it's very good. Uh, our listeners should get that. And then uh, read and subscribe to Bullet Points Monthly. Is there anything else that either of y'all would like to plug? No. Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's about it, right? Yeah, I think for me, Bullet Points Monthly and OK Hero is relevant here. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, those are those are the two. Yeah. All right. And uh, until next time, for Blakester, uh, my name is Jacob Geller, and I would just like to ask you the question: Super Baby Method. <laughs> <laughs>